Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. It really is good to see you, and thank you. Thank you for coming this morning. If this is your first time, or the first time in a long time at Temple Baptist Church, we do want to say to you that we are absolutely delighted that you would share part of your weekend uh, with us here at church. And we hope and pray that your time with us will be truly encouraging and challenging as we dive into God's word this morning. A few weeks ago, we started a series called Flawed. And uh, next week, we're gonna bring this series to its conclusion. And I think next week is gonna be a very memorable service. So I, I wanna encourage you to mark it down. Make sure you're here next week. I think we're gonna end with a great, uh, a great Sunday. Uh, we have been looking in this series at individuals from the Bible that we simply can identify with people whose lives are not perfect, people whose lives cannot be put in a nice pretty little box with a bow on top of it. We're looking at people who have problems just like you and me. People who have hangups just like uh, you and me. People who have struggles just like you and me. People who have quirks uh, just like you and me. And, and I think that's why we, we have connected with this series because we're looking at individuals that we can relate to. Ultimately, this series has uh, been about the grace of God. There is no grace like the grace of God. That should be a big amen. Let me say it one more time, in case you missed it. There is no grace like the grace of God. Amen. Amen. There never has been and there never will be God's grace, a grace that is extended and always reaches farther than our sin. And if you've experienced the grace of God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. His grace is so radical, it just doesn't make sense to the human mind. It's so scandalous that a holy God would extend his grace to people like you and me. Uh, this week, uh, I, I came across a verse that I've known for a long time. It's found in James, we're not gonna look there, but in James chapter one, verse 22, it says the, that when you look into God's word, it's just like a mirror. And a mirror can be your friend, and it can be your enemy. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever woken up in the morning and you stumble into the bathroom, and in the corner of your eye, you catch a glimpse of yourself? And you go, whoa, who is that? Surely that's not the person that crawled into my bed last night. Like you just can't be, right? It kind of sometimes just shows uh, the flaws that we have, our hair standing up on its end. And, and the Bible is like a spiritual mirror. When we look into it, we can spot, we can spot our flaws. We can spot our brokenness. We can spot the pain and some of the regrets. We can spot some of the guilt that we deal with. And, and what's so amazing is that this amazing grace of God is extended to train wrecks like me. It's extended to people who feel like they're damaged goods. It's offered to people who, who feel like they've been rejected in life. And I really do believe that the grace of God is extended to all. So are you in need of grace today? Well, God's grace has been extended 
to us this morning. And we're gonna learn a little bit more about that this morning. I'm gonna go out on a limb today. I'm gonna predict that this is going to be the greatest sermon you have ever heard in your entire life, okay? The greatest sermon you've ever heard on an obscure passage about an obscure person in the Old Testament. I'm gonna say probably 99% of you have never heard a message on this person. I've never heard a message on this person until I really went digging. Um, I've never heard about it as growing up as a child. And what we're gonna do, we're gonna have a look at an incredible truth from a very unlikely biblical character whose name is, you ready? Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth who? Mephibosheth what? Mephibosheth, it almost sounds like I'm swearing. Mephibosheth, okay, this morning. You won't find his name probably in the baby book for potential names for baby boys. And we are first introduced to Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter four. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do this morning, turn to 2 Samuel chapter four. 2 Samuel chapter four, it's in the beginning part of your Bibles. And if you have a hard time finding it, it's okay. You can look at the beginning of your Bible. There's that table of content. And you can look up 2 Samuel, it'll tell you the page number. 2 Samuel chapter four. And we're gonna read verse four. 2 Samuel four, verse four. It says, Jonathan, the son of David, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. Okay, uh, just so we can have an idea, I, I'm gonna write this down so we kind of get the, 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 the storyline here. There's three people that are mentioned in the, in, the, in the verse there. The first one is, do you remember? It's Saul, okay? He is the king of Israel. This, uh, the other person that's mentioned it's, is Jonathan, okay? Jonathan. And Jonathan is the king's son, okay? The king's, wow, I'm writing way too hard on this marker. The king's son, he's also a prince, okay? And then we also have the other person that's mentioned is Mephibosheth, okay? I'm gonna write that down. Mephibosheth, worked hard to memorize this. Chef, okay? He is Jonathan's son. Just write that down so we can all remember how this works. He's Jonathan's son. He's a grandson to the king. Grandson of the king. Now, King Saul started off as a pretty good king. And what we have here in this story is that word has come that Saul and Jonathan are both dead, okay? So you would normally think when you think of monarchies, you think, okay, there's the king and then eventually his son will become the next king and then after that, well, then the grandson will become king. But there's no mention of Mephibosheth ever becoming the king of Israel. And Jonathan is the king, is the boy that will never become king. So in this story, what we have is Saul and Jonathan 
the king and the king's son have been killed in a battle in Jezreel. So you would normally think, well, then the next person that should be king should be Mephibosheth. But the Bible actually, as you study the Bible, the next person that actually is gonna become king is David. And so one would ask the question, well, what happened to Mephibosheth? I mean, shouldn't he be the next one that is king? David is the David that we know who killed the, the nine-foot giant. And he's already killed um, the giant at this time. But here's the news. So let me just kind of give you the, uh, we'll pa press pause on, on this scenario and just imagine this for me. A five-year-old boy, he's playing in the park, but he's not just any old five-year-old boy. He's the grandson of the king. And we'll, let's just say he's playing on the palace grounds. And all of a sudden there's some commotion in the background. You can hear voices, you can hear people yelling and screaming, and then it's getting closer and closer. And all of a sudden they, they barge to the door and they yell out, the king is dead. The king is dead. And not only is the king dead, but the king's son is dead. So you can imagine all the pandemonium that is taking place at the people. People yelling, people running, people screaming, trying to get out of the palace because David is on his way to become the next king. And so a nursemaid grabs his child and begins to run for the protection of the child. Because if you read any kind of history, you know that when there's gonna be a, a, a change of a family line and a monarchy, they don't want anyone that's gonna be left. They don't want anyone that's gonna be left to make claims to the throne. And so this nursemaid knows that. He, she grabs the child and she runs to protect the, grands, the king of the grandson. You know, this, the king's grandson. Because honestly, Mephibosheth should be the next one in line to rule. And David, who's this heroic figure in the nation of Israel, David has already killed uh, a lion and a king with his bare hands. He's already, as I said, killed Goliath, a nine-foot Philistine giant with a slingshot. He's already made a name for himself, actually, as a, as a warrior in Saul's army. He, he's, he's like a hero. If he was living in modern-day times, uh, boys would have his poster uh, on their bedroom wall. Like, I want to be like David. And girls would have his poster on there. I want to marry somebody like David. And David and Jonathan were friends. And David is like a family friend to the royal family. And so this five-year-old knows that his grandfather is dead, his father is dead, and now supposedly a friend of the family is coming to kill me? Like, he, he's going to get rid of me? And in the midst, as I said, of all the mayhem, the, the nursemaid picks him up and starts running, and she does what every parent fears to do. She drops the child. The Bible says he broke both of his legs. And there's no time to be put in splints. We have got to run for our lives. And... All she is concerned about is protecting the son, or the grandson 
of the king. So you get the picture, right? A five-year-old is told his grandfather is dead. He is told that his father is dead. He knows that a family friend is out to kill him. And then he's dropped, and he's crippled. His whole five-year-old life is flipped upside down. One minute he's enjoying the comforts of the palace, and then the next minute he's on the run for his life. And as quick as a snap of his fingers, everything changes for Mephibosheth. Have you ever had a Mephibosheth moment in your life? You know, one moment, everything seems to be going so well. And then the next moment, everything falls apart. And there's no rhyme, there's no reason to it. You didn't see it coming. It just blew up in your face. You know, maybe, maybe it's that phone call that comes from the doctor's office that simply says, you know, we, we've seen something in the biopsy that concerns us. I, I think you, you need to come in. I mean, one moment you're, you're feeling good, you're making long-range plans, and the next moment you realize, wow, I don't have as much time as I once thought I was going to have. You know, maybe someone that you trusted, like you really trusted, and they violated your trust. That moment, like everything changes. Maybe that relationship that you really thought was gonna go the distance, and it just crumbles around you. In a moment. And everything in your life is changed. Well, this is Mephibosheth's story. He loses his family. He's crippled for life. He's trying to put the pieces back together. And this goes on year after year after year. He doesn't get healed. He doesn't get help. He's broken. He's flawed. This is the story of Mephibosheth. And at this point, you're probably saying, okay, Donald, I'm, thanks for depressing me. Got any other great stories to make me go a little farther down in despair? But here's the part. One day, one day, everything changes in one day. Take your Bibles and flip over just a couple chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 9. One day. It's kind of weird what's going to happen here in chapter 9, verse 1. It says, one day, okay, David, now remember, David's the king. David asked a question. He says, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. I say it's kind of weird what takes place because what we have is a reigning king who wants to show kindness to a family member of his rival. See, at one time, there was a good relationship here in between Saul and David, but things have really gone sour and actually Saul wanted to kill David and Saul actually tried to kill David. But one day, David asked the question, is there anyone from this family, like my rival, is there anyone that I can show kindness towards? As I was thinking about that this week, I, I, I kind of get overwhelmed with this sense 
how God is always wanting to show kindness, like always wanting to show kindness, even to those who were once against him. Isn't that what the Bible says, that we were, at one time we were all enemies of God? And yet what did he do? He extended his grace and his kindness to us. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, so while we were still sinners, he went ahead and sent his son to die on the cross. Why we're still sinners. That's the kindness of God. It's weird to think though, that, true, that, that a reigning king wants to show kindness to a rival, unless you know the whole story. See, Jonathan and David, when you study, Jonathan and David aren't just friends. The Bible says that their souls were knitted together. Uh, They had each other's back, both, by the way, both godly men, both very godly men. They had something very in common. They wanted their lives to honor God. And and the Bible says their souls were knitted together. And long before Saul ever died, long before he was ever killed, David actually was anointed as a king. While Saul is still reigning, the old prophet Samuel really, in many ways, commits treason because there is a current king in Israel, and Samuel comes and anoints a new king. Because God has revealed to Samuel that the family line is going to change. And Jonathan is aware of it. Jonathan actually knows that he will never be king. The man who will never become a king. He knows that. And and when you read your Bibles, you discover that Jonathan goes to David and says, when you become king, will you show kindness to my family? Will you show kindness to my family? It was so interesting, because David is such an unlikely king. When you look at Saul, Saul met all the criteria of what anybody would be looking for in a king. The Bible says that he stood head and shoulders above everybody. So if you were to look out in a crowd, you could spot Saul immediately because he he was so tall. His his presence, had a commanding presence when he walked into the room. The Bible talks that he was good looking. The Bible says he was smart. He was intelligent. He would be what everyone would want in a king. And yet, the Bible talks about the fact that his heart began to wander from God. And he started to do his own thing. And because of the choices that Saul makes, it literally affects the generations that are gonna come after him. You know, you read a story where Saul throws a spear at David to kill David. And in many ways, I think it ended up hitting Jonathan because of his life. Sometimes we think, don't we, that if we just sin, it just affects our life. It doesn't really affect anybody else. But I read this story and I go, yeah, no, it's true how our sin does affect so many people around us that we engage with. And God makes this decision, there's gonna be a new family that's gonna sit on the throne. And for some reason, I I don't know why the Bible doesn't explain, but for some reason, David has brought to mind this promise that he has made to Jonathan. 
Maybe it's the anniversary of Jonathan's death. I don't know. Maybe uh, there's a sound or, or he's doing something that reminds him of what he and Jonathan used to do. But something has caused him to remember the words that he spoke to his friend Jonathan. And so David asked the question, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I could show kindness towards? Look at verse two. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They, uh, they called him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? He replies, I'm your servant. The king asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? So he goes to the man who, who served the previous king very faithfully as a servant. He goes to him and says, is there anyone? Like, is there anyone still alive that I may show kindness towards? And I love this next verse. It says, Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan but he's crippled in both feet. Ziba, really what he's saying is here, um, this is not the kind of person that you would want to invite to the king's table. He's flawed, he's broken. He's not the kind of person that you really want to come to visit your home. He's not really the kind of person that you want to be hanging out with. In fact, in this, um, time frame, people who had physical disabilities were almost considered like a burden to society. Uh, and we, in our day and age, we look at that as so absurd. But in this day and age, that was what it was considered. Like there must be some massive sin in their life for God to allow this kind of a physical disability. Uh, we know in that day and age that we live today though, that, that, that's crazy. In fact, what we know is that in our weakness, God is strong. That's what's powerful. And we've seen the mighty hand of God work in people who are flawed and broken. And I love the response that David gives. He says, where is he? There, there's actually someone still alive? Well, where are they? I, I can just imagine his eyes getting big with intensity. Like one of Jonathan's sons is alive? And you continue to read through the story and Ziba says, yes, he's living in Lodabar. David says, go get him and go get him now. It's, it's almost like David's like, I can't believe I, I didn't know this before. Go get him, go get him quickly. You're telling me my best friend's son is still alive and I've never known this? And so I, I began to do a little bit of study on Lodabar. Where is Lodabar? Never heard of this place before. Well, Lodabar means without pasture. We talk about the name Bethlehem. It means the, the house of bread. Well, Lodabar is the house with no bread, no pasture. In fact, um, one historian said it was like the ghetto of Israel. And that's where the grandson of the king is residing. Way out in a forgotten place where it's dry and dusty, out in the boonies, it was like he was in the witness protection plan. Nobody was gonna find the grandson of the king in Lodabar. Now, one of the things that I found interesting, which I didn't realize until this week, that Mephibosheth, that was not the name given to him at birth. See, Mephibosheth means son of shame. 
And you think, can you imagine a father giving his son the name Mephibosheth, knowing it means the son of shame? And I realize actually his name has been changed. It's been changed to Mephibosheth, but in, we won't take time to look at it, but in 1 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 34, and 1 Chronicles 9, 40, we realize that his original name, the name that was given to him by his father at birth, was Merel Baal, which means idol breaker, opponent of Baal. In this time frame, Baal was the false god that was worshipped by many nations. And when Jonathan had his son, he named him Idolbreaker, opponent of Baal. But then his name gets changed to the son of shame. Mephibosheth lived in Lodabar. We don't know how old he is. We know he's grown. When a a knock comes on the door. Maybe the knock that he had been expecting all of his life. Maybe he's hiding out thinking, I hope the king never knows that I'm still alive. But a knock comes on the door. The door is open. And the message is, the king wants to see you. Now, I don't know what is flashing through his mind. I don't know if he's thinking, David, the one who used to call himself a, a, a friend of our family, wants to see me? That man that has wrecked my life, he wants to see me. Again, I don't know what's going through his mind. But one thing we discover as we threw this chapter, everything that he believed, everything that he knew about David was wrong. It was wrong. I think he came in fear and trembling. I think he came with the idea probably this will be my last day on earth. So he must have been totally confused when David spoke to him. Everything that he thought would happen, everything that he knew about David was not true. Everything that he thought David wanted to do to him was wrong. You know, many of us have this spirituality that has a very messed up view of who God is. We have this, this view like this, there's this God who's just angry at people and we find ourselves living out in the spiritual wasteland of Lodabar because we think we know what God is like and we internalize these things and the things that we believe in and so many times we just believe God is mad, mad at people. Maybe because you, you feel like you're just not living up to the standard. Uh, you know, sometimes we have this, I just know he's mad and I know uh, he's gonna bring the hammer down. One day God's gonna get even with me. And we have this distorted view of God. And so many people walk around thinking that God is angry at them. But I'm here to tell you that's absolutely wrong. That is wrong. God desires, I totally believe God desires to extend his kindness and his grace and to bless you and to give you a hope and a future. That's God. And what David does in this chapter is totally opposite of what Mephibosheth is thinking. David tells Ziba, or Ziba, the servant, he says, 
all the land, if you read through the chapter, all the land that once belonged to Saul, the king, give it all to Mephibosheth. You imagine, this is no little vegetable garden he's getting. He's getting the estate of the previous king. Here, Mephibosheth is one of the poorest people in the land, and now he becomes one of the richest in the kingdom because of the graciousness of the king. But I love this part. This part is amazing to me. Verse 11. He says, And Zeba said to the king, because he said, the king has just said to Zeba, by the way, or Ziba, he just said, by the way, you, you used to serve the grandfather Saul. I want you, I want your 15 sons, I want your 20 servants, you're all gonna serve Mephibosheth. Now listen to this in verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my, my lord the king commands the servant to do. So listen to this. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Like one of the king's son. I love the ending of that story. The king replaces shame with honor. Don't you just love those stories where people are down and out and they get rewarded and they're honored? I love stories like that. That's why I used to love that story, the show, um, um, oh, what's that, uh, Extreme House Makeovers. Remember when they used to yell, uh, move that bus, move that bus. And, and, you know, some family, right, the husband maybe has died and there's a, maybe a, dis a child with a disability and they're living in poverty and all of a sudden they come in and they take over this family's life and they give them something brand new. That's the story right here. Because it's the story of mercy and redemption. And I never get tired of hearing these stories of God's mercy and God's redemption. That's the story of Meshavosheth. etched in the very DNA of our souls. And honestly, we are Mephibosheth. That is what Christ has done for us. He's done it for you. He's done it for me. How are we like Mephibosheth, you say? Because we find ourselves fallen and broken and flawed. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. Romans 3.10 says there, there's none righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are pursued by the king. And not just any king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords pursues us. Just like King David pursued Mephibosheth, to honor him, I believe God does that for us. And, and here, David, um, Mephibosheth has this, this, this mindset of what David, how David's gonna treat him. And it's sort of like so much of the world has this mindset of how God's gonna treat them. And yet right there in John three seventeen, it says very explicitly to all of us, there's a twist in the story because it says Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Like the whole story gets twisted of what God's done for people. 
And one of the things I want you to notice, when Mephibosheth is invited to, to sit at the king's table, I don't know if you ever thought of this, but you know what? Something is covered. His brokenness, his crippled legs are not seen. He sits at the table with the sons of the king and his flaws and his crippledness and his disability is covered. We have been invited to sit at the king's table this morning. And Mephibosheth is given a position of honor as a son of the king. And that is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It covers our sin and our shame. So when we sit at the king's table, you don't see it. That's Jesus. And that is what Jesus has done for us. We are made whole and complete at the king's table because of the sacrifice that has been made for us, the death of Jesus. And much like Mephibosheth, whose brokenness was covered by the table, we are made complete by the sacrifice of Jesus. And we are like one of the king's sons. You may think yourself to be way too broken, way too flawed to get an invitation like that. I want to tell you, God, Jesus, the King of Kings, offers an invitation to sit at his table this morning. In Luke chapter 22, we have this record of Jesus uh, with his disciples. It's, it's the Last Supper. It's the Passover meal. In fact, we're gonna be celebrating that in just a few minutes. But in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is speaking to his disciples as they're getting ready to take uh, the Last Supper. And Jesus says, in Luke 22, verse 29, he says, he's speaking to the disciples and those there. I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father has appointed unto me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. That is the invitation that is given to us. The king pursues us. Why? To extend kindness to us. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, so thankful for simple truths from your word that paints these incredible pictures of who you are. And Lord, as our eyes are closed and we're contemplating, I just want to ask you a question this morning. Has your world been turned upside down like Mephibosheth? Maybe you need um, God's assurance this morning. You need prayer. Because your world is not what you thought it was going to be. Can I remind you, as I have said hundreds of times since I have arrived here, 
God is always working behind the scenes of your life for your good, for your good and his glory. The story of Mephibosheth is a true story and it's our story. It's an incredible story because Mephibosheth couldn't earn David's favor. Just like you and me, we can't do anything to earn God's favor. He just extends it. Ephesians tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He's pursuing you today. The king is pursuing you. So if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, I want to challenge you to say yes to him this morning. 